Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, we do praise your holy name. We declare hallelujah. You are king. You're our Lord. You're our Savior, our Redeemer. The Lion of Judah. celebrating your presence with us as we, your people, have gathered to declare your goodness, to celebrate your glory, your grace that you've poured out on us. Thank you, Jesus. I just pray that you would continue to bless us now and that we would bless you. We do pray with our souls that see anybody's fried chicken. <laughs> There's a laugher over there. I like that. That'll, that'll keep me going this morning. I'll, I'll talk longer. Um, Garrett Walker kind of caught me on my, my way in to the auditorium a minute ago, and um, he pointed out something. And I'm probably going to have to figure out what to do, I, actually, I've, I've kind of got a plan now. So, Garrett, thank you for this. But Garrett, Garrett said, Joe, you call this a family-friendly service. Does that mean our other services are kind of anti-family? You know? <laughs> and no, that's not what I intend when I do that. I, I intend to say um, I'm going to acknowledge and recognize that we have little ones in here who can be, you know, a little antsy sometimes, like there are older ones, their moms and dads who get antsy sometimes too, and their grandmas and grandpas, we know that. So uh, I, I thought about it, Garrett, and so here's what, here's what I thought. I want to involve our, our children um, at the end of the service. Now, this is an audible, nobody, nobody on our team knows, nobody in the booth knows, Nobody, Kyler and them don't know this, but here's what I want to do. For some of you, <laughs> Kyler said, what's new? Uh, <laughs> he threw his hands up in the air and said, yeah, like that's new. Um, here's what I want to do. Uh, when we get ready, to, uh, after kind of I'm done uh, teaching this morning, I'm going to ask you if you are uh, so one of our younger people, one of our children, if you want to, I need some help at the end of our service. While, while the adults are going to sing the last song, I'm going to ask you if you would come up, just meet me over there by that stair, those stairs, and help me because we want to circle the cross with, those, with our Operation Christmas Child boxes. 
And so if, if, you will, if you will plan to do that to help me at the very end of our service, come up um, and meet me over there, and I'll remind us that we're going to do that. Dean's going to remind me to remind you to do that. We're going we're gonna to gather over there, and, and maybe some of our, our, our children's team, and if you've got a really little one that wants to come help, maybe mom or dad wants to come help them help me, that would be cool. And uh, so anyway, we're going to do that towards the end of our service, okay? Everybody got that? Okay, we're, we're good with that. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, I, I want us to continue our journey uh, this morning in the book of Nehemiah. So if you've got a Bible, we're going old school, not coming up on the screen, because we were not going to have a screen at Wanamaker Park. And so we're just kind of pretending we're continuing that journey. So you've got to go old school. You're going to have to get your phone out, or you're going to have to you know, get, a, get one of these hard copy Bibles and, uh, and, and go from there. We're going to start in uh, Nehemiah chapter 6. And if you were not here last week, Dean walked us through uh, the first 14 verses of Nehemiah chapter 6. He did an incredible job helping us be captured by the reality that unless our identity, who we see ourselves as, gets forged and continues to be, uh, if you would, rooted in Christ, unless and until that happens, we're going to continue to live powerless lives. We're going to continue to just kind of get beat up on, uh, on, on this side of heaven. We'll be battered by every new challenge or new temptation uh, that, that comes our way. And again, if you weren't here for that, let me encourage you to go to our website and, uh, and, and, and just Give yourself over to uh, about 35 minutes of teaching because it, it will bless you. Um, now, one of the things that uh, I, I want to do is um, b- because there, these were kind of last-minute changes, I'm going to share some scripture today that, uh, from other passages, and I will put, post those on Realm so you can have access to them later today because today we're going to make our way through um, pretty much all of chapter 7 except the last few verses there. And uh, so I, I just want you to, to think about that. Now, I do want to go back and pick up something um, from uh, Nehemiah chapter, chapter 6, verse 2. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 2, this kind of, as Dean was teaching on this, this kind of struck me. Um, it, it, it says this, it, it, it talks about in verse 2 that um, Sanballat had been taunting. He was kind of an enemy to Nehemiah. He was taunting Nehemiah, and he extended to Nehemiah an invitation to come and meet him in an isolated place, and it was named Kephirim. Now, young people, children, please hear me. If somebody who doesn't like you ever invites you to an isolated place and it has the word fear in it, do like, do like Nehemiah did. You know, he named that plane, oh, no. The plane of, oh, no, I'm not coming out there. So you don't have to show up. When somebody gives you an invitation like that, don't you go. Okay? Now, I want you to jump over to verse 15. Verse 15, I want you to see something here. It says this, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, it says, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. So it, the building project took 52 days. Now, here's the interesting thing. You say, Joe, the, the wall building's over. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 how come there's so many more chapters left? I thought this was just about building a wall, but the wall's done. Why? What, what's, what's, what's there left to tell? Well, here's the really cool thing. First half of the book, 
is about the rebuilding of a wall. Second half of the book is about rebuilding the people of God. And chapter 7 is like an interlude. It's kind of like just a pause. And it's in this chapter that I'm convinced, inspired by, by the Spirit of God, that Nehemiah just slows down and, and, and stops. And he begins to reflect on the people, on their lives. He thinks about their families' names. He thinks about the sacrifices they've made, the struggles that they've endured, the good that, that they have done. And he looks back to an event that even precedes him coming to, to Jerusalem. He turns his thoughts back to what happened before he even got there and the, the generations of people that literally came about 100 years before Nehemiah did to be a part of this rebuilding. These people who had been exiled in the captivity in Babylon, they came back. So if you look at verse 5 of Nehemiah chapter 7, we'll read this. Nehemiah says, then God put it into my heart. See, God put it into his heart to stop and pause and reflect. Friends, we need to do that from time to time. We need to have pause moments in our lives where we stop and reflect about, about what's just happened and about what God did, not what we did, but what God did to lead up to that moment. He says, so he put it in my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people uh, to be enrolled by uh, genealogy. And I found the book of genealogy of those who came up the, at, at the first. And I found written in it. And so he goes back and he finds th this book with the names of the people written in it that had, had come the first time out with Zerubbabel uh, about a hundred years earlier. And it goes on, verse 6 says, These were the people of the province who came up out of captivity of those exiled whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel. So he, he's on this pause. They've returned now, a hundred years earlier, and then uh, about 15 years before Nehemiah comes on the scene, Ezra leads a group of people out of Babylon, and then uh, 15 years later, Nehemiah comes and, and brings some people out. But Nehemiah's reflecting now on this first wave. He thinks about these people. He, he looks back at, at their name, and he's noticing the work that was accomplished through the people of God and their names, and their families. There's a great little book I want to commend to you by, by Eugene Peterson. It's entitled Run with the Horses. Uh, just, a, just a great book. And he makes a statement in there that I, I find both challenging and insightful. He said this, There is little to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture because we have celebrities, not saints. He goes on to say, neither the adventure of goodness nor the pursuit of righteousness gets headlines. If we look around for what it means to be a person of integrity, we don't find much. No journalist interviews them. No talk shows feature them. They're not admired. They're not looked up to. They do not set trends. No Oscars are given for integrity. At the year's end, no one compiles a list of the 10 best lived lives. What he's saying is the world does not notice what the world ought to notice. But God does. God, God notices. And we need 
to notice a little more. I mean, think about what would happen to the work of the kingdom of God on earth if ordinary people who go so unnoticed stop doing what they do to serve. I was reminded of that uh, in something I read this week that uh, happened. Uh, a man came home from work early and he drives up in his driveway and there's total mayhem going on out in the yard. His three kids are out there playing in their pajamas. It had rained the night before. They're a muddy mess. Strewn all about them are empty bags of cookies and candy wrappers, and they're just having a a grand old time. His wife's SUV door was wide open, um, and so he's trying to figure out what's going on, and so he looks up, and the the front door of the house is open, and he kind of picks up his pace and walks on in and finds, oh my goodness, the the, the living room is a a bigger disaster than the front yard is. There's toys and clothes strewn everywhere. He makes his way into the kitchen, and dishes are on the floor, there's there's cat food laying around, there's human food laying around all over the place on the tables, there's a broken glass under the kitchen table, it's, it's, he's he's starting to grow fearful because he doesn't see his wife, so he makes his way upstairs and he's having to dodge clothes and toys that are on the stairwell and he he finally makes his way up to the, the door of his bedroom and he sees his wife there in bed in her pajamas, reading a novel. And there was a half-eaten bagel on the nightstand and two different cups of coffee, uh, half-drank. And she looked up at him and smiled and said, hey, honey, how'd your day go? And he was like just bewildered. And he asked her, honey, what, what happened today? And she smiled at him and said, you know how every day when you come home, you ask me, What'd you do all day? She said, today I didn't do it. Sometimes we don't notice what others do until they're no longer doing it. Friends, the the wall in Nehemiah 7 here had, had gotten finished in Nehemiah 6. And now there's this long list, if you look at it, this long list of unpronounceable names. Have you ever, have you been to the movies maybe lately, and if not, maybe pre-pandemic, and you remember at the end of movies, what happens? The credits. They, they scroll the credits. And what, what is going on in the crowd? Unless it's a Marvel movie. And you know something's wedged in the, in the credits. But what, what happens when the credits start? People get up, you know. Kind, considerate people take their popcorn bucket and their drink, you know, empty cup with them. Other people, you know, kick them. Uh, But that's what kind of happens at the credits. But not with God. Not, Not with God. Because your kingdom contribution matters. And there's really no small kingdom. See, every time you make a decision to obey the word of God. Every time you decide, I'm going to share my faith. Every time you bow in prayer for somebody who has a need. Every time you, you lead or you teach children or you follow the Lord. And you're a part of God's redemptive rebuilding plan on earth. He sees it. And he provides eternal credits that will continually roll throughout all eternity. 
In Revelation chapter 20, we're getting to the end of that great vision of John, and we come to this moment around the verse 11 that's known as the great white throne judgment. And it says the, the dead, great, and small, all are standing before the throne of God. And then it says books are open, plural. And then it specifically names one of the books that's open, the book of, the book of life. It says anyone whose name wasn't found in the book of life, they were cast into the lake of fire with, with Satan and, and his demons. But then it says that the remaining were judged by the other books according to what they had done according to what we have done on earth. Now, this morning, we have some members of our River family, some moms and dads, who are committing themselves to one of the greatest works of God and the kingdom going on in our planet. And that is to raise their kids to know and honor Jesus. Committing themselves today to that work, and they realize that they can't do it by themselves, but need the faith community. And so I've asked Michelle Whitman, who is coming, as you see, she knows her cue. She's coming to explain a little bit about what uh, is about to happen, what took place in advance um, of this moment, and then she's going to introduce our, our families that are going to come up. Michelle, come on up. Yes, welcome, Michelle. Hold, Hello? hold it longer. Hold it longer. I'm good. <laughs> Gabby just had to, had to, you know, had to speak into that. Good morning, everyone, and let me take these off so I can now see you. Good morning. Shout out to River Kids. Good morning, River Kids. I love you all and River Kids team. Okay. So I am here to talk about parent-child dedication. It's a very special time. And I know that we're all bummed that we can't be at the park. Although that, that worship, wow. Shout out to the worship team, right? Wow. So I'm, I thought to myself, I'm so bummed we can't do this at the park. So as a gift for you, I'm bringing you a little sunshine. You get to see these babies and celebrate that here together. So what they received in advance was a list of commitments that are all scriptural to pray through together. And then today, Pastor Joe will call those out, and they will commit to do those things in front of our whole church. They will commit to raising their children in a godly manner, um, but we get a part in that too. We are going to commit to pray for and support them. So there's a part for you in there too, so be listening up. So they're also going to get a bag in just a minute, and inside of that bag is a letter that has been signed by our pastor for the day that they trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It, it's not a maybe, right? They haven't done it yet. They're really little, but when they do, they're going to have that letter. It'll also have their certificate for today and some other goodies that I'm not going to tell you what they are. Um, anyways, I want to also just say real quick that next week when you come, you're going to see some prayer cards on the table at the entrance to this auditorium, and it'll have prayer requests that the families have specifically asked. So please take time to pick up one, or if you're feeling really, really, really spry, two or three, you know, 
pick up a couple of prayer requests and commit to pray for them. You can tuck these in your Bible. It's so important, and that's how we keep our end of the bargain, right? All right. Let me get off this front and stage and introduce our families now because you're going to be so excited. I was stalling. Josh Edgar is back from the restroom. So here we go. We can start now. I am going to start with this beautiful family over here. And I want to introduce, they're actually dedicating two children today because it's been a little while since we've been able to have the privilege to do this. So here come the Ailey Weatherfords or Weatherford Ailey's, if you like. Parents Josh and Antonia. We also have big sister Daniela, but we're dedicating today Edgar, Josu, and also Samuel Antonio. So come on up, guys, check them out. Looking sharp. Yeah. Yeah, come on up, guys. Stand in the lights, let them see. All right. And then we have another beautiful family, you guys ready back there? This is the Coleman family, parents Ty and Danielle, big sister Allie, big brother Eli, and today they're dedicating Izzy or mm -hmm. Isabella Grace, if you like. So Izzy, come on up. Yeah. Pastor, I gotta stand next to you. I wanna make some room. Look at this handsome family. You guys are too quiet. All right, check them out. Yeah, Danielle, if you guys will just head over to this side. All right. All right, parents, uh, th this is not uh, new to you. You have already seen these, but uh, we are going to ask you to publicly uh, just acknowledge by saying we will when I kind of get to the end of the commitments that you're making today. So I'm going to put my glasses on so I read them as you read them. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, Good people live right, and God blesses the children who follow their example. Will you commit today to live a godly life yourself as an example to your children so that future generations may be blessed? Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Joel 1, 3 says, Tell your children about the word of the Lord so they will tell their children, and their children will tell their children. Will you commit today to teach your child the word of the Lord and to train him or her to walk in the ways of the Lord? We will. They're saying we will just so you know. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger, but to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Will you commit to do this? Amen. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but anyone who won't care for his own relative when they need help, especially those living in his own family, has no right to say he's a Christian. Will you commit to provide for the spiritual, physical, and emotional needs of your child? We will. Amen. The greatest gift that a parent can give their child is to love Jesus with all of our hearts full devotion, to live out that devotion publicly, displaying an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus. I agree, dada. Um, and, and to excitedly and regularly share Jesus with their child. Mark 10, 13 tells us, one day parents brought their little children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. John 10, 40 tells us this, one of the two men who followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and say to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And then Andrew took Simon to Jesus. Will you commit to live your life with a devotion to Jesus in such a way that your child can see him? And will you devote yourself to bringing your child to know Jesus personally?
The second greatest gift that a parent can give their child is to love their spouse. If you're standing here today, will you commit to love your spouse with a godly love and consider it a gift to your children? Well, amen. Pastors, I'm going to ask you to repeat after, or parents, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. We dedicate this child to you, O God. He or she is yours, Lord. Watch over and protect them. Use them to change the world. Okay, church family, here's your part. I'm going to ask you to stand up. And I'm asking you this, this question. Church family and, and friends and family uh, who may be in attendance today, will you pray for these parents who have wonderful as well as challenging times in front of them? Will you lift them up in prayer, encourage them, and help them to be all God calls them to be? We will. Amen. Well, I have asked, we're going to do two things here. I've asked David uh, Blake, one of our elders, to come and lead a prayer for these families. Um, and then I'm going to come with Michelle, and she's going to bring goodies. And I just want to pray a prayer of blessing over each child privately. Okay, David, if you would, lead us, brother. Dear Heavenly Father, what a wonderful step these parents are taking today to publicly express their commitment to raise their children to love and follow you. In the days ahead, they will face victories and losses, but may they always stay focused on you, and may they give praise to you in both. As we know, Father, when we draw closer to you and when we lead our family closer to you, the enemy will attack in various ways. So this time, dear God, we ask for a hedge of protection around these families, and please keep them from the attacks of the enemies. As your River Bluff family, we are here to love and to support you in any way that we possibly can in the days ahead, and we love each of you. In the Lord's name, amen. I was, I was being offered candy. And I appreciate that. And I may take you up on it later. Give, give our families just a, another round of, of applause, if you would. And folks, you can return to your seats, if you would. Be, be careful. He's, he's leaving that for me, Ty. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Oh, goodness. This is a wonderful, just a wonderful moment and opportunity to be able to share 
uh, with our families, uh, with our whole church family, uh, what it means to, uh, to just make these commitments and live them out. And, and friends, I, I pray that you understand that this is kingdom work. I, frankly, some of the greatest kingdom work on the planet is raising kids to, to know and, and, and love the Lord to, and to, to publicly declare it. That's something I think we need to do more often. Now, you don't always have to make your public declarations about what you're going to do to serve the Lord from the stage. Sometimes it's just best just to, to declare it to maybe your spouse or to your kids. When the Lord puts something on your heart, let your kids know that you're intending to do this for the glory of God. Now, are you going to blow it sometimes? Yes, but that's why we serve a God that, that the book of Hebrews in chapter four tells us we can run to his throne of grace anytime we need some. Grace and mercy is there for the moments where we, where we blow it. But God calls us to, to make vows to him, but then set out uh, to keep those. Now, I wanna jump back to Nehemiah chapter 7 real quickly and just point out a few things uh, because Nehemiah is in this, this mode of reflecting on, on the people and he kind of starts out thinking about some roles that they play. Look back at Nehemiah chapter 7 verse 1 if you would. He says this, now when the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and then he says this, so he's, he's put the doors in place, they're hung, the gates are in place and then he says he set this up, the gatekeepers the singers and the Levites had been appointed. So the, not only was he in that mode of making sure the, the structure was sound, now he's thinking about the people and the roles that people need to play um, in this new protected city. If you jump down to verse six, he's even gonna talk about the, the citizens of, of the city. He says, these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. And then from verses seven through 65 is this, this incredible list uh, and names of people along with the numbers in their families. And I want us to take just a moment to think about kind of those four groups of people that Nehemiah kind of calls out here. I want us to think about the singers. I want us to think about the gatekeepers. I want us to think for a moment about the citizens and then the, the Levites, which were actually the, the priests. And this is all kind of interesting because uh, for years, I want us to think about the singers first, for years, literally decades, the people of God, while they were in captivity, had quit singing. Do you know that? Psalm 137 tells us that instead of singing, they sat down and they wept by the rivers of Babylon. That passage of scripture uh, tells us that they hung up their harps on the branches of the willow trees and stopped singing. Can you imagine the sadness to have the joy taken out of you that you're no longer singing? But here in the book of Nehemiah, we're getting to see them. They, they've started tuning their instruments. Is that how you tune instruments, Kyler? I, I, don't, I don't know. That just, maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. But they were tuning their instruments. They were getting ready to, to worship God again, to give thanks to God through song like you guys did today, just celebrating the goodness of God. Friends, one of the things that is pointed out in the book of Nehemiah is that, that music, song, is not just an incidental part of worship. It's, a, it's an essential part of worship. 
It's, it's a critical part of worship. From the earliest times of, of recorded history of, of worship of the Lord, there's been this singing that's taking place, drawing us to, to rest in God. So those were the singers. They had a role to play. And then there were the gatekeepers. You know, the, the singers kind of provided the praise for God's people. Gatekeepers were responsible for protection. You know, we have some people in our church who one of the things that they do, and if, if you would like to participate in this, we'd love to have you. Uh, but they, they walk and check the, the locks on the doors during our services, check and make sure that things are okay in the parking lot, um, just to help make sure things are, are, are secure around here. Now, if you go over to um, Nehemiah chapter 11, verse 19, some of those guys, those gatekeepers, are named. The gatekeepers, it's Akub and Talman, and their brothers who kept watch at the gates were 172. So there, there's these 172 gatekeepers, you know? And I can just kind of imagine, two, two of them are named, but I can just kind of imagine, you know, we get to heaven, and, you know, you could hear somebody say, well, now, tell me, when you were here on earth, how did you serve the Lord? And you can see uh, Akub and Talman saying, I was a gatekeeper. I kept the gate, man. I shut the gate. I opened the gate. Made sure nobody who wasn't supposed to be in the gate didn't come through the gate. I mean, that's, that was their job. That was their work in, in the kingdom of God. Now, here's the thing that I want you to recognize. That may sound mundane. That may not, not just sound important. But God recorded it. Because it mattered to God. Everything that we do matters to God. It's not mundane in the sight of the Lord. It's just not. You know, one of the things that historians tell us about the Great Wall of China, you know, one of the few things that you can actually see from space and know what it is, man-made structures. Uh, of the few times that the Wall of China was breached, all of those breaches took place by doing what? Does anybody know? Bribing the gatekeepers. That's how the walls were breached there, by, by bribing the gatekeepers. Friends, I don't know whether you know it or not, but if you're a Christ follower, you're a gatekeeper. You're, you're, you're a gatekeeper in a holy war. Um, in, his, in his great writing, the book called Holy War, uh, author John Bunyan points out some things that were incredibly thoughtful for me the first time I read it, and, it, and it's this. We all have gates to our souls, you have an ear gate, things you listen to. You have an eye gate, things that you see. All of these impact our souls. You have a feelings gate. How do you respond to your feelings? You know, there, 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 are, there are all these gates. You have, a, you have a mouth gate. Man, that one you gotta watch. But all of these gates and the, the way that the enemy gets to our heart, to our soul, is through those gates. So we've got to be good gatekeepers. Listen to this in Proverbs chapter 4. It says, above all else, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. So guard your heart. And then listen to verses 24 and 25. Put away perversity from your mouth. you got a mouth gate. Keep corrupt talk uh, far from your lips, that mouth gate. Then verse 25 says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. That's the, the eye gate. There, there are these gates to our soul, and we need to be vigilant gatekeepers, 
over what God has given us. We need to carefully guard our thoughts, what we're looking at, what we're listening to, how we're allowing our emotions to control us. And then Nehemiah talks about the citizens in the city. And Nehemiah identifies them by their family or clan name. If you look down at starting in verse 8, and then it just goes on, it says the son of Parash were 2,172. Then it says the sons of, of, of Shephatiah were 372. And then the sons of Arab were 652. And on and on and on it goes. And so one of the questions for me that kind of jumps out automatically is, why, why did they count them so carefully? Well, here's, here's what I think is the, just the clear answer. They counted them. They were kind of counted by God because they counted to God. They counted for the work of God. And each and every one mattered. And, and, and one of the things I want you to notice is God didn't only deal with numbers. He, he used names. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 16 God declares this through the prophet. He says, behold, I have written your name on the palm of my hands. If you know the Lord through Jesus, God says, I have written your name on the palm of my hands. I know you by name. I I know you intimately. In the book of Revelation, one of the realities that kind of gets put forth, uh, we, we, we see this, you know, this number, 666, and we all go, ooh, you know. And it's, it's known as the mark of, of, of the beast, of the Antichrist. And here's one of the things that that tells me, because names are not mentioned. You're not going to be known by your name to the enemy. You're only going to be known as a number. But Jesus knows your name. And when we trust our lives to him, the Bible tells us he writes our name in that, in that Lamb's book of life. Jesus actually writes our name in it. So if you're in Christ Jesus, he knows your name. He's written it down. He calls you by name because you matter to him. And how you, what you do to serve him matters to him. The last group that I want us to think about this morning are the Levites or the priests. And when we read this account in Nehemiah 7, we discover that the priest, you kind of get to the end of that chapter, in order to be able to serve in the temple, they had to prove their lineage. They had to be able to prove that their family traced all the way back to Moses' brother Aaron. And again, if you go in and you study the details of Nehemiah 7, you'll also find out in order to live within the city gates, You had to be able to prove that your family lived there prior to the dispersion, prior to the exile. You had to prove that you were an actually a a, a true Jew, that you belonged to the people of God to get to live in the city of Jerusalem. Had to have Jewish blood flowing through you. Now here's, here's a question that sets up, I think, for me. What right are you going to have to live in the walls of the New Jerusalem? What, what right are you going to have to live in, within the walls of, of the New Jerusalem? Again, the book of Revelation points out that only those who are redeemed by Christ will be able to live in the new holy city. And th- so there's these questions that we've gotta, we've gotta ask ourselves. Can we trace our lineage back to the family of God, not your mom's 
you know, new birth in Christ, but yours. Are you related to God through his son Jesus? Have you trusted Jesus? Remember, Jesus, uh, kind of at the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, he says, many will say to me on that day, he's talking about uh, the, the, the end of time, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And Jesus said, I will declare to them, depart from me for I never knew you. See, the pressing question here in, in this part of Nehemiah 7 is, do you have a bloodline back to Aaron or do you have a, a bloodline? Can, can you prove your connection back, back to your, your ancestors? And the question that's going to be asked of everyone at the judgment is, are you related to the Jewish carpenter? Are you related to Jesus? Are, are you related to the Messiah? Have you trusted him with your life based on the sacrifice that he gave? Can you, can you point back to your relationship? Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Now, uh, another question that needs to be asked is, well, how do I get there? How do I get my name written there? The gospel writer John, in the opening of his book, in John chapter 1, verse 12, tells us this. But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them, to those, he gave the right to be called the children of God. Some translations say to become a children of God. Not born of blood, nor of the will of flesh, not of man, but of God. Jesus is the one that gives us the right to become children of God. Now here's a really cool kind of add-on to that. Not only in Christ are, are we children of God, but Peter later writing back to the children of God in 1 Peter chapter two writes these words. But you're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. So you're, you're royal priest if you're in Christ. Not only do you get to live in the holy city, but you're priest unto God. Your priest, you can trace your roots back to this. And it goes on to say, uh, you're a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You get to be a priest now on this side of heaven, a royal priest who gets to declare the excellencies of Jesus. We get to do that. So if you're in Christ, you're a royal priest. You represent God to others. I want to I want to close with just two quick closing thoughts. The first one is this. Most of most of those noble kingdom things that you do in this life are not going to be recognized on earth. I, I'm sorry. No, I'm not. Because there's a better way. But they're not. Most of, you know, oftentimes credit is not given where credit is due. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't. I think this is a discipline we all need to get better at. When we see a brother and sister serving Jesus, serving us, I think we need to stop and thank them. Just, just stop and, and make that moan. I think, I think we ought to all kind of ought to work on that. We need to discipline ourselves to notice and acknowledge their contribution in the kingdom. You know, in, in Nehemiah's day, there, there were gatekeepers and guards and maintenance workers and groundskeepers and singers and priests and shepherds and people just volunteering everywhere. But the truth is, most of what you do in this life 
for God's glory and the kingdom of God is not going to be recognized here. But never, ever, 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 ever forget this. It is recognized in heaven. God sees it. God knows it. He writes it down. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust. See, it's unjust not to recognize and not to notice. God is not unjust so as to overlook your work. God is not unjust that way. He's not going to overlook it. He's not going to overlook your work. And then it goes on. And the love that you have shown for his name, for his glory, in serving the saints as you will do. God's not going to overlook that. God's going to see every single thing. Now, people are going to forget. People are going to fail you. People are, are going to uh, skip and, and not tell you thank you or those kinds of things. But God never will. Your heavenly Father never will. He always, always is going to give credit. He see, not only is he going to give credit, the Bible says he's writing the credits now for that great feature-length film on that day when we were all standing in his presence. And when that end of that great, great story comes on this side of heaven, before before the, the next great story and great adventure begins in, in heaven, the Bible says God's going to roll the credits, yours and, and mine. And so the question is, what will our lives show for him? What will our lives show? See, we all need to be about the kingdom business, changing diapers. You know you can change a diaper in Jesus' name? You can. You can change a diaper in Jesus' name. You can pull weeds. You can sweep floors. You can arrange meetings. You can prepare children's games. You can move gadgets back there on the electronic boards. You can run cameras. You can, you can pray through prayer lists. You can contact visitors. You can uh, provide meals. You can offer rides. You can, you can welcome people at the, at the doors. You can do all kinds of things. You can tell somebody else about Jesus. You can maintain you know, our, our web page and, and, and do administrative work around here. You can crawl on the floor with toddlers in Jesus' name. You can set up uh, chairs in classrooms. You can recruit volunteers. You can thank those who are currently serving. Oh my goodness, you can host a small group in your home. Man, there are all kinds of things that we can be doing. You can be a counselor at a youth camp. You can, you can dedicate a week of your life to VBS. There are all these things that we can do. And then guess what? We can do it all over again. Next week, serving the king of kings. Remember, in the kingdom of God, your work will never go uncredited, even though it may not be recognized on earth. And it is the greatest joy in the world to get to know we're serving the King of Kings and getting to be with him for all eternity. That's part of what it means to be the family of God. It's part of what it means to connect with one another at that level. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pray for us right now. And after I pray, I'm gonna make my way. It, Dean's doing his job. He's pointing over there, Joe, don't forget about going over yonder. And so uh, after I pray, I'm inviting uh, some of our children that want to meet me over there um, to come. And while we're uh, going to be singing, raising a hallelujah that we get to serve the risen King Jesus, we're going to just enwrap that cross with those 
Operation Christmas Child boxes. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we come this morning in your name giving thanks to you for your goodness, for your grace. God, we are thankful that you see everything that we do for your glory. We're just so grateful, God, that that's who you are, that nothing goes unnoticed in your sight. And so, God, I pray that every time we give a a cold cup of water to somebody. We, can, we know we can do it in your name when, we're, when our praise team is leading us. They're, they're doing it in your name. When someone is changing a diaper in our preschool, they're, they're doing it in your name. Lord, I, I pray that you will help our minds focus on the joy that will be eternal because of the little sacrifices that we make, the little deeds that we do in this life. Father, I thank you, God, for so many unsung heroes here at the river. And I pray your blessings on their lives. And so God, we close our time together. We wanna raise a hallelujah to you because of who you are and because of the joy we have in serving you. Increase our service for you, oh God, we pray. It's in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.